1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today's episode is
0: brought to you by one of our amazing sponsors, Stamps.com.
2: Anything you can do at the post office, you can now do right from your desk with Stamps.com. For a no-risk trial plus a $110 bonus offer, go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in SMART. This is Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. I'm Chris Stemp. And I'm John Rojas. Man, today a little controversial. Uh, we speak with Brad Stone, who wrote the book. You might have heard of it. It is called The Everything Store, Jeff Bezos and the Age of Amazon. Brad is a senior writer for Bloomberg Business Week in San Francisco. He's written many cover stories on leading technology companies, including Apple, Google, Facebook, Twitter. And previously, he was a reporter for the New York Times and Newsweek magazine. Unfortunately, I was not able to be part of this interview, but John definitely killed it. So I'm going to let you take it away.
0: Yeah, this was right up my alley. I got to sit and talk to him about Steve Jobs, when he outed the fake Steve Jobs, a blog that was popular years back. And then we got to talk about Jeff Bezos and the culture at Amazon and the controversy that you brought up of Jeff's wife calling Brad out on the book being inaccurate and all the hubbub that went around that. Hubbub. All the hubbub. But we all love shopping at Amazon. Let's be honest. I mean, it's it's the everything store. And now you can do it through Twitter. It's kind of scary. And speaking of Twitter... Follow us at Smart People Pod. Reach out to us. Reach out to Brad as well. His Twitter handle is at Brad Stone. Super easy. Just let him know that you heard him speak on our awesome podcast. Yeah, we appreciate it when you when you do that. Put at Smart People Pod, at Brad Stone. Let him know. Enjoy this week's episode with Brad Stone. Well, Brad, thank you so much for being on the show. One of the things that we like to do is talk to our guests about their background, how they found their passion, how they got to where they are, and then just a little bit about diving into who you are as a person. So could you give our listeners a quick insight on who you are, what you do, and how you got to where you are?
1: Sure, yeah, thanks for having me on the uh, podcast. I uh, I've been a technology journalist now for about 15 years. I, I started uh, my career with the magazine, the the once proud magazine known as Newsweek. <laughs> um and uh and uh was there for about 10 years and uh then did a couple of years at the New York Times and now I'm a I'm a senior writer for Bloomberg Businessweek and I've covered uh, technology really since probably 1996 and and the reason was simple i uh, you know i loved computers growing up um i used the internet uh in high school and in college um and when i kind of went into the media a, as a lowly researcher at newsweek you know the internet was kind of just creeping onto the radar screens and you know there were a lot of kind of traditional conservative minded you know writers and reporters at the magazine at the time that kind of feared the new technology uh, but nevertheless we had a responsibility to write about it and you know and I I kind of just put myself forward because I understood it and I was comfortable with it and um, I moved to silicon valley for newsweek in 1998 and so I really saw you know the first boom and the first bust and um, started developing relationships in silicon valley and I kind of always felt that this was really the most interesting story of our time, you know, that even even like political regimes and presidents come and go. And yet, you know, the Internet is leaving its mark and, and mobile phones are leaving their mark, you know, in a way that is really changing society permanently. And so I've just always really been energized by it broadly as a topic drawn to the people and to the kind of temptations, uh, you know, and idealism that kind of clang off each other in the technology community. And, And that's why I'm still doing what I'm doing.
0: That's awesome. And I'm completely jealous of your job, because like you, I love computers, technology, all of those things. And in college, I used to watch the screensavers, G4 tech TV, that type of thing. And I always thought, oh, man, it would be awesome to write about technology on the internet. And I quickly found out that I was not a writer, so I gave up on that. And luckily, I'm able to do this whole podcast thing and feel like I'm part of that group now. But it is funny. You know, the internet, what did it, just turn 25 yesterday right. or, or yep. whatever. And it's it's so surprising to look back and just see how far it's come since when it first came out. I know we all remember the sound of those awful 9,600 baud modems and the modems before that. And it really just has come such a long way.
1: I mean, it, it, for me, it's just what's so dramatic is to think back to kind of how we worked, you know, 10, 15 years ago when the web was just new. And, um, you know, the way the way in which even a news organization works right now is so dramatically different and more efficient. And, and as a result, there are so many new opportunities. I mean, you know, I spent 10 years as a researcher um, you know, at Newsweek, scrambling to get my name in the magazine. And right. today, you know, new journalists, uh, you know, via blogs or podcasts or Twitter feeds, can make their voice heard right away. So the bar is lower, and uh, but as a result, more people are having their voices heard. And you can, you know, it's there's great things about it, and there's frustrating things about it. You have to work harder for for attention, um, and it's also more challenging to tell meaningful stories. So. You know, I set out to write my book about Amazon because I felt like, you know, it had really never been done and people uh, weren't seeing the the forest for the trees, so to speak. You know, as they were getting lost in the minutia of what's happening to the stock price today or or yesterday, whereas really, if you step back, this is, you know, the the stories of companies like Amazon are kind of remarkable.
0: Let's go ahead and jump into that. The book that you wrote is The Everything Store, Jeff Bezos and the Age of Amazon. And, you know, it's been receiving such high praise I saw that it was a 2013 award winner through the Financial Times and Goldman Sachs Business Book of the Year.
1: Yeah, that's right. That was a very it was a, that was very that was very nice and unexpected, uh, but uh you know, after you take some lumps, uh, of course, by having any book out, it's always nice to be recognized like that.
0: Absolutely. And congratulations for that. I'm sure that's, you know, such an honor to get, especially with this being your second book. That's very very
1: cool. Awesome. Thank you so much.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the book. How did you come up with the idea? I know you said, you know, nobody's really talked about Amazon, but at the same time Amazon well,
1: Yeah, no, I mean it was like it was it was pure opportunity. Like because I have covered Silicon Valley for, you know, over the years, I saw great Google books and Apple books and, mm-hmm. you know, there there have been some pretty good Facebook books and of course a Facebook movie. But because I think of its secrecy, um, because of its remoteness up in Seattle, because maybe we kind of take it for granted, you know, Amazon is reliable as your, you know, washing machine. Yep. No one had kind of set out to, to really, well, they had, let's say. But I, did, I didn't feel like there had been any credible books about the history of Amazon, uh, particularly any books that really did justice to the kind of twin innovations of uh, the Kindle. And uh, Amazon Web Services, the cloud business. So it was just opportunity. And at the same time, you know the folks in the book publishing business are are going to bed and waking up thinking about Amazon and what it's doing to their business. And so it was it was like a pure market opportunity. And because I had covered Amazon, I thought I was you know in a good position to do it. So that was really the genesis of the of the uh, project.
0: It's amazing how much of a disruptor Amazon actually has become. Like you said, it's as dependable as your washer machine now. Where I'll go to bed one night, wake up in the morning and think, oh, I need to pick up this, this, and this, not have to go to a store, just go online, click, click, click. Two days later, it's on my doorstep. They truly did change the way that we think about the overall goods marketplace, but yet nobody thinks about it. So this book being a look at the insight of Amazon – did you hear any negative criticism or anything along the lines that maybe it's too early for this look well, at Amazon? Yeah,
1: I mean, of course, that uh, is what Jeff Jeff Bezos himself told me when I told him I was doing this. Right, and it's you know, and it, it's kind of his usual uh, retort. Uh, and in a way, it's a it's a way to kind of brush off intrusive uh, journalistic interest. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's not a, he's not kind of constitutionally. Uh, I think inclined to open himself up to this kind of examination. So in part, it's, you know, there's some truth to it, uh, but, but look, it's 20 years old now right. and he hasn't just, to your point, changed the way we shop. He's also changed the way we read. Uh, he's, he's changed the way companies are created and how they run their operations in the cloud. And, you know, so, you know, you, you've made three enormous impacts here in 20 years and, and throwing a near death experience to boot. Uh, so while I kind of understood the argument, I thought I was kind of looking more at it, uh, you know, that there's a kind of natural arc to the story now. And then there was just the demand. I mean, you know, sure it might be too early, but look, people want to read about it today. They want to understand it better. And I think, Probably the success of the book has kind of shown that um, there is a, there is a hunger there. So I, you know, while I heard that from Jeff, I always kind of felt it was a little self serving, and it was more it was more that they weren't inclined to open themselves up.
0: Let's talk a little bit about Jeff Bezos. You got to sit down with him a handful of times for this book, right?
1: Specifically, I probably talked to him over the course of my career covering Amazon. So that's uh, you know that's starting in '99, uh, and and then I I, I proposed the book to him, and I talk about that in the introduction to the book. And then I and then he he said it was too early, and he made, uh, he, although he did make you know family members and and senior executives available to me. He kind of declined to participate, but it, but then even then you know I would see him for a product launch. So I probably saw him twice during the course of. Uh, the book uh, writing and publication process. So, you know, it's a kind of yes and no. I mean, they kind of got, you know, they they cooperated to an extent, I think more than they have with other projects. Right. Uh but at the same time, Jeff was Jeff and uh it's not like he suddenly uh, you know, was comfortable with the kind of facilitation that Walter Isaacson uh got from Steve Jobs, which of course <laughs> was a much different situation with with uh, Steve uh, You know, battling cancer.
0: Now, you say Jeff is Jeff, and I think that a lot of our listeners might not have the same insight to the background. So, for those listeners that haven't read your book yet or don't know too much about Jeff Bezos, can you give a quick synopsis of who he is as a person and as a leader of Amazon?
1: Yeah, I kind of describe Jeff Bezos as the guy who bet, who made the first and biggest bet on the internet, and who continues to be uh the biggest gambler in the casino uh the, and per, and probably the smartest gambler in the casinos, so just a banker at a hedge fund uh, in nineteen ninety three ninety four and uh with his boss at the time he starts to see this this rapid growth in the world wide web and he he leaves the uh the firm and he goes off and and um and starts Amazon, which of course at the time, if you remember is is just a bookseller yep. Uh, but he sees kind of the, the capital opportunity, the fact that uh, investors are very interested in the internet, and he's just aggressive and, and has a real vision for this company. And he raises probably the most amount of any internet company ever in, in both a stock, in equity, and, and in bonds. And, uh, you know, Amazon almost runs the ground in the dot-com bus. And then Jeff really proves himself as a as an innovator and as a, as a leader of a big company and almost single-handedly, you know, brings Amazon into digital reading, invests in a cloud business that has really kind of changed the way uh, infrastructure operates. And, you know, today continues to just aggressively invest in new territories, you know, international expansion, but also continually reinventing what Amazon can be. And we're going to see in the coming weeks a set-top box, an Amazon phone, just like a real, a real innovator um, and, uh, you know, someone who probably stands alongside Steve Jobs right now in his ability to, uh, you know, apply his unique brand of thinking to different industries and change them in the process
2: these days you can get practically everything on demand like our podcast you listen whenever you want when it's convenient for you so why are you still going to the post office and dealing with the lines and the people and the timing and ugh, it's miserable now you can get postage on demand with stamps.com
0: anything you can do at the post office you can now do right from your desk i mean anything you can print stamps envelopes, shipping labels. You can do it all. And unlike the post office, you never have to wait in line at stamps.com. Save time, print postage online.
2: You know, we try to hook up you listeners with books, posters, phone covers. We got a lot of different swag that we send out and we use stamps.com. It has literally changed our lives. We no longer have to schlub all the way to the post office and wait in line. They send you a free scale, it's a nice scale. You just put your package on there, plug it into your computer, it weighs it, prints out the perfect postage amount, you put that right on your box and leave it for your mailman. No more Post Office
0: saves you time. Right now, use our promo code SMART for a special offer. You'll receive a no-risk trial plus a $110 bonus offer, which includes a digital scale and up to $55 in free postage. So
2: don't wait. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in SMART. That's Stamps.com, enter SMART. Harry's was sparked from a personal experience from Andy, one of the founders. He went to a drugstore, waited 10 minutes for someone to unlock the case where the razors are being held, and bought a four-pack of blades and some shaving cream. Not the best purchase experience. He spent $25 on products and brands that he didn't know anything about. There had to be a better way. Welcome, Harry's. Harry's focuses on providing guys a great shaving experience for a fraction of the price of the competitors. They believe in clean product design, less but better. High quality blades engineered in their own factory in Germany. And the convenience and ease of ordering online beats going into a
0: drugstore any day of the week. Guys, I hold in my hand the box that Harry's shipped directly to my door. Opening it up, you're greeted with an awesome razor, a couple blades, and their amazing shave cream. The shave cream has soothing licorice and cucumber, coconut oil, and eucalyptus and peppermint. It's absolutely amazing. The razor itself, unbelievable. Lightweight aluminum, just like in aircrafts. Head over to harrys.com and use the promo code SMARTPEOPLE to save $5 off your first purchase. What other types of comparisons with Steve Jobs did you notice with Jeff?
1: There are a lot of similarities and a lot of differences. I mean, you know, an obvious difference is, you know, Steve really for him design and the beauty of a product was was first and and uh, and for Jeff, um, you know, it's, it's he tends to be more pragmatic. You know, get a device out there uh, mm-hmm. and then iterate, right? And we saw that with the Kindle Fire tablet, which at first was kind of boxy and yeah. and uh, and un- in this undistinguished, and and now, you know, after like three versions, is is competitive with the iPad. There are similarities too. They both, uh, you know, Jobs had a sort of infamous temper with subordinates um, and could be a real jerk. Uh, Jeff is certainly uh, not as as uh, as much uh, of one as as Steve was, but as I really account for in the book, you know he can be tough with subordinates. He expects the best from people like Steve did, and uh, when employees don't measure up they they know about it and that, and as a result, employees uh, you know work hard and want to please the boss. Uh, You know, there are other similarities. They both bring their particular sensibilities to various industries and change them in the process. And for Bezos, it's, you know, this low margin – You know, long-term perspective that has changed retail and publishing and cloud services, and you know we may be seeing it in the in the process of changing groceries and music and video uh, with Amazon's competition with Netflix. And I would say just the persistence of both entrepreneurs. You know, Steve Jobs had this saying: "If you haven't found it yet, keep looking. You know, don't settle." And that was clearly. The journey Apple went on with the iPhone and the iPad. And I think that's what Bezos is do- doing as well here with products like, you know, the phone and the set-top box where and, – and perhaps with the original Kindle e-reader where – you know, he's just committed to enter these markets. And, um, you know, sometimes it takes a while. And uh, they encounter a lot of failure and setbacks along the way. But there's a kind of persistence to each of those guys.
0: One of the things that I noticed about Jeff, and I noticed the same thing, we talked to Tony Shea and he spoke about how everything really focuses around the customer and to obsess over the customer. And they've truly done that at Zappos. And then with Amazon, I remember reading, I guess they put out that 1997 letter to shareholders. And one of the things that they talk about is to obsess over customers and just all these points about customers. When you wrote this book, what jumped out to you in terms of Amazon obsessing over customers? Is it something that they say or is it something that they truly do?
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, I I have to say I came to it somewhat skeptically because, uh, of course, you're never going to find the company that says they don't care about their customers. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so in a way, it sounds like pretty smooth public relations. Um, But I think there are ways and, you know, there are actions that you can point at uh, where, um, you know, Amazon does bypass some revenue opportunities uh, to to satisfy its customers. And, you know, a canonical example, and, you, you know, any... Amazon customer, you know, probably has a story like this where you're you're not quite satisfied with the product, uh, you bought it by mistake, or it comes broken, and you know, and Amazon tells you to keep it or to send it back for free, and they send you a new one. You know, so I mean, and then they've got the luxury of doing that, right? And 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 you know, they basically kind of encoded the customers always right into into their customer service organization. Um, you know, that said. Uh, I think like every company, you know, like they profess to be a customer oriented and, the, and to not obsess over their competitors. Uh and yet, you know, we see them doing things all the time that to show uh you know that they're that, you know, like like anyone would, they really consider, you know, the gains made by Apple and Google and, and other competitors. Um, you know, today, well, um I know this will be broadcast later, but um let's just say Recently, uh, they increased uh, the the rate uh, that they're charging for Amazon Prime, the two-day shipping service, and they say that shipping uh, prices have increased. Um, but it's also true that they're now spending a lot of money on uh, on buying uh, video, uh, TV shows, and movies to give to f- for free to Prime customers, which is what you know in part why the overall system is now more expensive. And they're doing that because Netflix has come in and really owned. Uh, the video shelf of the everything store. And, you know, they're trying to fight Netflix on that front. So we're prime customers clamoring for, you know, free episodes of, uh, uh of my so-called life. <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, some of the stuff they, they, I agree they're customer oriented and it's admirable, but at, at the same time, uh, you know, one of Amazon's most important constituencies is Amazon, you know, as you would expect it to be.
0: Okay. Since you are a technology journalist, I want to get your opinion on some of these things because Amazon raised their price of Prime to essentially eight fifty a month and then Netflix being 8 or $9 a month. Do you think that that is going to be a business model that can survive, especially since these guys are paying for all this produced content, Netflix going out and spending hundreds of millions of dollars on content like House of Cards? People have gotten so used to this a month, and they can stream all this stuff. Is this going to be something that can actually stick around? Or is there going to be another disruption to this industry and people are kind of going to be surprised?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's clear that this is a model that is you know already enormously successful, and it's it's kind of incredible to me that uh, you know people pay a hundred dollars for their cable packages, and yet they're they're willing to fork over you know eight to ten dollars a month for uh, an additional subscription. You yeah. know, I think if anything's endangered, it is that cable bundle um, because you know people are are they're just more attracted to the idea of binge watching a series, as we've seen with like House of Cards. Or, or going back and refreshing themselves on episodes of Seinfeld, and and they're less likely to go and to you know make their appointment TV uh, viewing. So um, no, I think that the the, the monthly subscription uh, idea is here to stay, and uh, I think we're seeing you know the em- the emergence of two primary channels in Netflix and Amazon, mm-hmm. perhaps Hulu's a third, and it's really up to the cable guys to uh, adapt to a new internet centric world.
0: The stuff that's going on in the cable industry right now is just. So frustrating and just mind-boggling how they basically get away with charging what they charge and capping people's data, all that kind of stuff. We could talk about that probably for hours, but that's a yeah. Whole different- and if anything, they're
1: doubling down on the old model with Comcast buying Warner Cable, right? And yep. uh, you know, just showing reluctance to to change and instead flexing their muscles. Well, you know, I think Jeff Bezos. And Reed Hastings realized that, the, that it's ripe for disruption.
0: They don't want to die, but hopefully those guys can go in there and kind of completely disrupt that industry. I wanted to jump back real quick to the Everything Store. Like I said, it's gotten critical acclaim. And yet, when you go on to Amazon reviews, there <laughs> I is—
1: know, I, know, I know where you're going with that, this.
0: That one scathing review yeah. from Mackenzie yeah. Bezos— can you talk a little bit about that? Because when the book first came out, it was basically the only one-star review that was out there.
1: Right. Yeah. There, there have been a couple of tepid reviews from some Amazon insiders, uh, including her review. Uh, you know, there have also been, I would say, an equal number of uh, of uh, you know reviews, uh, public and private, from uh, Amazon folks who thought um, I got. I got at the, at the story. Right. Look, it's not, it's not an easy topic, right? Um, you know, Jeff, uh, is a private guy. Amazon's a secretive company. You know, they prefer to speak simply and rather positively to, to customers. Uh, you know, my narrative, um, you know, is different. I tried to get it. Why this company is innovative. Yes, but polarizing as well. You know, lots of critics, uh, lots of customers that love them. So, you know, I tried to find the middle ground, to weigh both sides, and then I, I told one. A- there was one aspect to the story that my senses she just didn't like, and the, and the <laughs> Bezos family didn't like, which was you know I went and I hunted down Jeff's biological father, and and that was you know to me that was an, a, an ingredient in the stew. You know, how how is it that this man is so driven, right, and and intelligent, and and unwilling to to accept failure and you know so i mean amazingly because steve jobs was also adopted and larry elson was too jeff had this one aspect in his background that he never knew his biological father And I tracked him down, and and I actually told him, this guy, that his son was Jeff Bezos, one of the wealthiest men in the world. He did not know. Oh, wow. And I just, you know, and that's all in the book, and and, uh, it made a splash when the book uh, was published in October. And I just think, um, you know, that was one of the reasons why. um, And then the family is, you know, close-knit and, you know, protective of Jeff's parents. Um, And, you know, I just think that – you know it it probably rubbed them the wrong way, and I don't blame them. So uh, there was some blow back there that was probably inevitable, uh, but maybe uh, perversely, the uh, that review uh, and the attention that it got when she posted it ended up sort of helping the book and and drawing you know another round of attention to it. So it's uh, it was funny how that worked out.
0: You put so much of your your time, your life into this book. Do you plan on doing it again? Do you have any projects to, on the forefront here where you're going to take that same type of model? Or are you more along the lines of, okay, I wrote the book about Amazon. That was the book that I wanted to write. And now I'm just going to keep doing stories on a weekly, daily basis, that
1: type of yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, I, I would actually love to do it again. I mean, I, it was such a positive experience this mm-hmm. time around. But the lesson for me um, in writing this book and uh, and then in, in my previous book, which did not do as well, and it was about it was about of all things robot hobbyists, and, and, and that was probably the reason why it didn't do, do so well. Uh, but you know, the lesson to me is like you know, select carefully the topic that you want to devote you know two years of your life to, mm-hmm. and make sure it's a topic that where the interest scales proportionally to the time you spend on it, and uh, you know, and, and that's mainstream. You know, reading you know is is an, an almost an endangered activity you know, that it's it's competing now with so many other forms of diversion and people's attention spans are limited. And, um, you know, so to me, if I were to find another great story that had some of the ingredients of the Amazon story, you know i would definitely get back into it although it's funny right now what i'm doing is i really view the book the everything store as a kind of dynamic document and i'm i'm doing a a, a epilogue for the paperback which will be out in october and i want to you know and i continue to cover amazon and other technology companies for business week but i just think that you know this is a company for the ages and uh, people are always going to be interested in it. Always, you know, and people will be going to interview there. And I want to create a, you know, an up-to-date document that they can refer to.
0: Being a technology nerd myself, I have to ask you this question: Bitcoin, is it going to stick
1: around or not? I, I I'm not so sure uh, that I could predict the future. Um, I guess you know, one thing that jumps out at me is as we talk right now, the price of Bitcoin is somewhere in the 650 range. Yeah. And you know, which is down from the high, but you know, up considerably over the past two years and when you just look at how durable that it has been the value has been you know even though we're coming off of a couple of weeks of almost nonstop controversy from mount gox as you mentioned to, to the whole hullabaloo over satoshi nakamoto uh... to you know the this the the ceo of one company um, you know committing suicide i guess like a oh, wow. you know, lot um different hacking uh... hacking reports where people are losing their bitcoins you know, and yet this thing still has value in uh, you know, the Chinese government passing, passing yeah. laws, you know, not allowing people to exchange Bitcoin in China, you know, and yet here it's still worth something. It speaks to me that, you know, some durable value is created. Uh, There there are a lot of smart people here in the Valley who believe very deeply in Bitcoin, and so you know they're smarter than me. I'm inclined to think that it'll stick around, even though it may not be a mainstream thing. I barely understand it. I know my mom doesn't, so I don't think (laughs) we're going to be trading away our our dollar bills anytime soon.
0: Thanks for that. I know that is completely off topic, but a buddy of mine, we get in a conversation about that pretty much on a daily basis, arguing back and forth on whether it's actually going to be a currency or if it's just a commodity, that type of thing so I had to get that out there. Well, Brad, thank you so much for you know, spending the time talking to me today, especially about your book, The Everything Store, Jeff Bezos and the Age of Amazon. I wanted to give you an opportunity to just plug any of your, your sites where you write, if you're on Twitter, those types of things, so our listeners can catch up with everything that you're putting out there.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah, follow me on Twitter. I'm uh, twitter.com Bradstone, or check out Businessweek.com, where uh, they, they pay my bills, and uh, you know, it's uh, a great site, and we've been working hard on it.
0: Thank you so much. Awesome.
1: Appreciate it. Great talking to you.
0: Thanks for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Brad. Remember, our Twitter is at Smart People Pod. Brad's Twitter is at Bradstone. Send us a tweet, include him. Let's have a conversation about what you guys think about Amazon, Jeff Bezos, all that cool stuff that we talked about in today's episode. I'll tell you, I mean, I'm still, uh, I love Amazon. I mean, just call it
2: my own just need for convenience, but. Oh, but, I love it too. I no longer go to any
0: stores. Did it's, you know
2: if you're buying stuff on Amazon, you can help out the show by going to
0: com slash amazon? We haven't mentioned that for months. We haven't. And we have banners on our website at smartpeoplepodcast.com that if you click it, it takes you over to Amazon, does the same thing. So there's really no reason not to do it. It's so simple.
2: Yeah. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter because we send out little nuggets of wisdom that we've picked up over four years almost of podcasting and talking to awesome people.
0: As always, if you enjoyed this episode or ones before it, please head over to iTunes and Stitcher and leave a review. We really do appreciate that. That's your favorite thing. I, it is you love those reviews i
2: do love the reviews and you know why i don't know how much i really care about them well, personally
0: you don't ha- <laughs> you can care about something else
1: i love I'll talking to about people on email one. when they get yeah. the
2: review i never get to say hey thanks you friggin rock
0: that is true i wish you, know? you could comment back to itunes reviews because we've got we've got some really nice reviews before yeah. and i want to tell those people thank you i know because it keeps us going anyways thanks for listening
2: Tune in next week, Smart People Podcast, episode 1 billion, I feel
0: like. Yeah, I don't even know anymore. (laughs) Later.